Good morning. Well, I've been hearing a lot of whining about the heat. Folks, we live in Arizona. This is summer. When I saw it was 117 degrees yesterday, I, I thought, well, I'm going to go outside and see if I combust. <laughs> we just sang about no fear and death, so. But two weeks ago, I was speaking uh, at, at uh, Fellowship Bible Church in Tennessee. I learned what the word dew point means. <laughs> you know, when the dew point is close to the number of the temperature. That's really bad because when you breathe, you have to suck. <laughs> I'll tell you, give me Phoenix, Arizona in July, August, anytime. <laughs> now I have to say, my hypocrisy only goes so far because tomorrow morning uh, I leave my two granddaughters and my wife for a road trip to California and the beach. But that's another point. <laughs> I have a question for you. Here's my question. What was the first criticism of Christianity? What was the first criticism, attack, on Christianity? You know what it was? The fact it was too easy. You mean to tell me that we can escape the judgment of God by simply believing? That's impossible to believe. Matter of fact, there was a group of religious individuals who would follow Paul, the Apostle Paul, round and round. They would stay out of town until he finished planting the church in that town. And then after he left, they would show up and try to convince the people that they hadn't done enough. They were just believing. And anybody knows just believing isn't what it takes. It takes religion. And we all know that religion is hard you got to work it. you got to work the religion. If you're ever going to feel forgiven, you're only going to feel forgiven when you feel deserving that you feel forgiven, forgiven. So when you feel you deserve to be forgiven, that's when you start feeling religious. At least that's what they were saying. The only problem with work and religion, with trying to say, well, I've got to do more. I've got to deserve this forgiveness in some way is all it does, it makes you self-righteous. Makes you self-righteous. I feel forgiven because I deserve to be forgiven because all that I've given up, all that I've done, all the sacrifice and all the fact that I'm working it out here. Do you know this really ticked off Paul? Look at chapter 5, verse 4. Paul says, if you've been severed, you have been severed from Christ you are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Paul is not a happy camper in this letter. Most likely his first. And so he is dealing with the fact that these Galatians have fallen under this, this spell. They've been mesmerized by these teachers that it takes more. It takes religion. It takes working this thing out, deserving your forgiveness if you're ever going to feel forgiven. So Paul applies an old Arabian proverb. says, he who knows and knows not that he knows, he is asleep. Awaken him. And that's what this letter is all about. Paul is awakening these people out of the stupor of thinking it takes more because believing is not enough. So Paul does this. He wakes them up with some cold iced water. 
in the form of cold ice questions. And he gives them five. He gives them five. And the overall question is, well, what does it take to be Christian? What does it take to be Christian? You know, we get that word Christian from the Greek word Christianus. Christianus simply means one belonging to Christ. It was in contrast to Caesarianus, one belonging to Caesar. But they began to mock these early believers because they just believed that they belonged to Christ. So they were Christianus. They were Christians. So what does it take? What does it take to be Christian? Well, you haven't already. Open your Bibles to the book of Galatians. I know you love God. You have your Bibles. So open your Bibles to the book of Galatians here in chapter 3. Paul is pretty cantankerous in his letter, which gives me freedom to be. So he says this in chapter 3. Let's begin with the first question. First question is, who is bewitching you? Notice verse 1. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Well, that's a cool way to begin an open conversation, isn't it? You foolish Christians. Now, he's not calling them names. He's basically saying, you are acting senseless. What are you thinking here? Or are you thinking at all? They were not being dull. They were being thoughtless. They were not being ignorant. They were being senseless. They were not being stupid. They were basically being foolish. He says, you foolish Christians. Now you say, wait a second. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew that we're not to call anybody fool? Jesus says, you call somebody fool, raka, you're in danger of hell. Yeah, but Paul uses a different word here. Jesus is talking about calling someone a fool out of hate. Paul's talking about these are foolish people, and he says so out of concern. Jesus said people don't believe because they don't want to believe. Paul takes it further here. He says people don't understand because they don't want to understand. This is what Paul would later talk about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he says, you know, the God of this world has blinded their minds. The evidence of that is, do you know people who refuse to even seriously, seriously take their mind and examine the claims of Christ? They don't want to even try. And this is the evidence that the God of this world has blinded their mind. They don't understand because they don't even want to understand. So Paul says, who, Galatians, who's mesmerizing you to not take seriously what you already know? You are crucifying Christ over and over again. This word crucify is what we call a perfect tense. It means it's something done in the past and it's still going on, meaning the results. So he says, the truth is, God provided his son on the cross to receive his judgment for our sin. And God, being a God of love and mercy, has offered that forgiveness if we will trust what he says. Trust that he gave the Son as a gift so that we might have our sins forgiven. Be justified, declared forgiven in a court of law, and declared a child of God. Now God says this relationship is going to be based on one thing. Do you trust me? Will you trust me? And on that trusting, that's all that believing is. So he says, stop trying to change it. You were justified by faith. It was a gift. And if you are trying to self-justify, try to be a better person 
so that you deserve forgiveness, work in religion, trying to keep rules and regulations. I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. If that's your religion, then all that's going to do is produce in you self-righteousness. And that's why Paul's so ticked in this passage. It's because if you try to work religion to make yourself something special, all you're going to come up with is self-righteousness, and you will never come up with the key to the whole thing, gratefulness for your forgiveness. Take note of that. Gratefulness for your forgiveness. Look at the second question. He says, how did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? Verse 2. This is the only thing, Paul says, I, I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? You kept the Big Ten. Or by hearing with faith. He says, how did you receive the Spirit of God? In that mysterious way that He's within us. Is it because you earned Him? You, you deserved Him? First of all, what, what's he talking about receiving the Holy Spirit? Remember the night before Jesus crucified in John 14? He says, you know, they're, they're all bummed out because he's talking about dying. They all thought that he was going to kick out the Romans and they were going to have top council positions. And now he's talking about dying. They're all bummed out and Jesus says, now guys, 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 you believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house, many dwelling places, I go to prepare a place for you. But then he says, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I will ask the Father, and he will send you the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you and in you in some mysterious way. It was the promise that Jesus said the Father would send the very presence of himself, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, in some mysterious way reside within us. So Paul is saying, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? By works of law? Or because you trusted what was promised and you believed. Some have called this the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That, 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 that you, you believe, but then later, later on in your Christian experience, you somehow become worthy or spiritual enough to receive this experience of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the only problem, the scripture says, not so. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says in verse 13, In him you also... After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? The moment you what? You believed, you trusted that God has forgiven you and he sealed you with the Holy Spirit. All believers have received the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. When he says, we were all made to drink of the same Holy Spirit. And he's writing that to the Corinthians. Back in chapter 3 and 4, he just called them the biggest carnal church he's ever seen. And yet they, they even had the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans 8, if you don't have the Holy Spirit within you, you're not even a believer. You're not even a child of God. We all have the Spirit of God. But here's his question. Why did God give you the Holy Spirit? If you ever wonder, why do we have the Spirit of God within us? Well, Paul tells you right here in this book. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, because you are sons, daughters, sonship. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying what? Abba, Father. Why did He give us the Holy Spirit? 
Well, when you believed and you were justified, that is, declared forgiven, declared a child of God, but what good is a child of God if the child has no desire to be a child? So God placed a Holy Spirit within us to change our heart, to give us that very desire to want to honor God as a father. No longer simply a creature trying to appease God with some kind of religious experience, but rather a son, a daughter. Remember 2 Corinthians 6? God says, I will be a father to you, and you'll be sons and daughters to me. And I'm going to give you the very heart of having a desire to be my son, to be my daughter, and to want to please me. That's why the old prophecy of Jeremiah 31, 33, is when Jeremiah said, well, God will not only forgive your sins, he'll implant his law within you. No longer will be a bunch of rules and regulations out there to try to keep, but the law would be placed in your heart. You'll have a desire to keep the law because you know it pleases your heavenly Father. That's what Ezekiel 36 was all about. I will take that heart of stone out of you, the prophet says, and I will place my spirit within you and he will cause you to walk in my statutes. So we receive the spirit of God that changed our heart, given this desire we never had before, to be a daughter of the Heavenly Father, to be a son of the Heavenly Father, that is to desire to please and to honor Him. Well, then the question is this. Did you receive the Spirit because you earned it like the good old-fashioned way? You deserved it or you believed and you trusted what God promised? Third question of ice cold water, how are you going to be perfected. Verse 3, Paul says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You, you began with the Spirit, being justified by faith. Now are you going to be perfected by the flesh? What does he mean, perfected? We theologians use a big term like sanctification. All, all it means is being changed. You are being changed. You know when you share your testimony and you share how you came to Christ? What is the point of a testimony? It is to declare the fact that you have been what? Changed. And it is that change that we give the testimony. Well, what creates this change? What is this change? This change is simply a progressive dying to myself willfulness and growing more into wanting to live out his will in my life. You see, again, we became children of God. He declared it because we believed. He gave us his spirit and a desire to honor God as our father because we believed. But here's our problem. We don't have a clue how to do it. Does anybody know how to honor God, how to please God? We just all guess. We call it religions. So everybody's guessing how to do it. But Jesus came, and he's the son and he's the one who knows how to do it. He's the only one ever heard the Father from heaven say, once at his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. At his transfiguration in Matthew 17, same thing happens. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So if I want to follow somebody who's going to help me know how to honor and treat God as my Father, Jesus is my bet. That's why Romans 8.29 says he is the firstborn among many brethren. He's like our older brother because we have the same relationship with the Father he does. 
We're not little gods, but relationally, we are children of God just like he's the firstborn son. That's why we're disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not disciples of God the Father, disciples of the Holy Spirit. We follow Jesus because as we learn to be more like him, that's how we fulfill our heart's desire to please and be honoring to the Heavenly Father. So we might hear, these are my beloved sons and daughters in whom I am well pleased. Well, the point comes up is if we're disciples of Jesus, remember in Luke 9, 33, when Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? You want to follow me? He says, I'll make it easy for you. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Now, what does he mean, deny myself? Does he talk about me going on a diet or something? No, he says, deny yourself willfulness, crucify it daily, put it to death my self-willfulness, and follow me. That's sanctification. That's the change. The change is, it's less my self-will of what I want to do, and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and it's more and more progressively, what is the will of God? That's the will I want to live out, not my own will. This is the change. This is the sanctification that he's talking about. You know what it feels like? It feels like deep inside you, normal changes. The Spirit of God, as I more and more put myself willfulness to death and carry out the will of God, I find normal changes within my gut. That those things that used to feel normal, like my self-willfulness, my selfishness, my anger, my temper, my, all those things, that used to feel normal. It's just got to be me. The problem is, when I do those things now, they just feel more abnormal. Meanwhile, the things that used to feel abnormal, like selflessness, forgiveness, caring for others more than myself, that stuff feels, are you kidding me? All of a sudden, that starts feeling normal. The very things that were abnormal feel normal. The things that used to feel normal now feel abnormal. That is the testimony, beloved. That is the change. You know, I listen to uh, Family Life Radio. I listen to Christian radio whenever I'm in my little Mini Cooper. I love my Mini Cooper because everybody feels sorry for, for me and my Mini Cooper. I can drive any way I want. Cut in front of big red trucks and they go, oh, you little cute little guy, you know. I love my Mini Cooper. And I play Christian music and I Family Life Radio on my Mini Cooper. But you know, uh, if you know anything about me, you, you cut me and I bleed theology. I'm sorry. It's just the way I am. So I listen and enjoy the music, but I have to admit, I do tend to analyze it theologically. And even yesterday, I was listening to a couple songs saying, you know, Lord, I, I desire to be closer to you. I want to feel like I'm in your presence. God, I want to be closer. I hear this again and again as we sing it in our song. We want to be closer to God. I want to feel his presence. I want to be with Christ. I want Christ to be with me. It's not. It's not. Boy, we need more Christ. Ah, oh, beloved, it's Christ needs more of us. What he's talking about is simply this, is that I'm not trying to become a better person. I think if I try to become a better person, then I'll feel closer to God. You know what happens when you try to be a better person? You fall into a better than mentality. I'm better than you. Because I'm trying to be a better person, and it's obvious you're not. Therefore, I'm better than you. 
I'm better than you because I believe this particular theology. I'm better than you because I believe this particular eschatology. I'm better than you because I do this. I go to this church. I go to that church. I do this. I do. The more I try to be a better person, all it creates is I'm better than you, and that's arrogance, or you try so hard to be a better person little by little, you keep failing, you just give up. And you say, you know, I'll just settle for fire insurance and hope it holds. <laughs> and the world causes hypocrites. You see, you try to self-sanctify, you try to self-sanctify, that is just try to be a better person, then you will have a mentality of arrogance and you will think you're better than others. So self-justification, you become self-righteous. Self-sanctification, you become better than, at least you think you are. And this is what is so odious to the world around us. This is what they see, Christians. They feel judged and they feel that we think have, we have some sense of superiority. But Paul splashes this fourth question. Why did you suffer? Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in, in vain? You see, when the Spirit of God is changing you, and what was normal now is abnormal, and what used to be abnormal now feels normal, you're going to make people uncomfortable. And people, when they feel uncomfortable with you and the change in your life, they're not going to always like it. Last of the Beatitudes, Jesus warns us when he says, you do know if you live righteously, righteously, all that word means is you live as if you're in a right relationship with God. You are living in a relationship with God as a child to a father. So what drives you is not your self-willfulness. What drives you is what honors your father, what pleases your father. And this will bother some of your friends. And therefore, you're going to suffer for it as these dear folks suffered for it. He says that you suffer all that for nothing. Now you're going to go back and try to be a better person on your own by being more religious and keeping rules and regulations. Well, he gives the final splash. How did God perform miracles among you? Verse 5. He says, so then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law? Is God some kind of formula? Do you activate God by, or by the hearing of faith? Let's think of miracles. What, what are these miracles? It's no big deal. It's simply God intervening in his creation to accomplish his purposes. And if a natural law, which he created, gets in the way, he knocks it to the side. So if someone's got to walk on water or heal or feed 10,000, he'll do it. He'll do whatever it takes to accomplish his purposes. Nothing can stand against God's purposes unfolding. Not even natural law. But it doesn't have to be always breaking natural law. The biggest change, the biggest miracle that they experienced was the fact their life changed. That which felt normal is now abnormal. That which feels normal is now that which honors God. So he's saying... How did you activate God to do these miracles? Some kind of formula you figured out? Is it that fact that if I do this, God will do that? God is so predictable, like a little computer program, like a little app, that as long as I'm good, as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, and I be a better person, and I keep a bunch of rules, I'm somehow going to activate God, and God is going to go, oh, 
Gabriel, I'm sorry. We, we've got to flow a little bit this way. Well, who do you think God is? Some kind of formula we activate? Well, as you can see, Paul's not happy. So Paul draws this conclusion in verse 6. He says, even so, Abraham. Everybody goes back to Abraham. As the father of faith, as the father of our Jewish friends, as the father of the Arabs. He goes back to Abraham. So even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. A right relationship, the very relationship God wanted with a human being. The relationship of a father with a son. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles, the goyim, us, by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer, the truster. What do you learn about Abraham is simply this. It says Abraham believed God. Every time God told Abraham to do something, he obeyed it. Abraham, leave your home. He left his home. Abraham, I'm going to give you a seed, a child. He believed God would. I'm going to give you a nation. I'm going to give you a land. Abraham did not go out and try to create ministry. He did not go out and try to create religious work for him to do for himself. Now catch it. Abraham did not start a religion. A bunch of rules and regulations that he could keep to make him feel like he was forgiven. To make him feel like he was becoming a better person. All Abraham did was he rested and responded. Rested and responded. It's much having your hand in your pocket. My hand's resting in my pocket. All of a sudden, my ear itches. Scratches my ear, goes back in the pocket. Instantly obeyed when there was something it needed to do. Scratch my ear. So it is, do you understand, this is what it means to live by faith. You're not running around trying to think up things to do that are good, that are worthy, that are religious. No, it's resting. You're a child of the Heavenly Father. And then He will bring to you opportunities for you to instantly obey. We talk about the fact that, that the Holy Spirit changes us from within. Absolutely. But how does he do that? I see Christians that in my 45 years of ministry that they have changed remarkably. And I see a whole lot of other Christians that have been Christians for a long time and I don't see any change at all. They're a bunch of forgiven good-for-nothings. See, like I said, I'm getting older. I can get away with this now. Why is that? Why do some Christians change and others don't? Because they're all waiting for the Spirit of God to do it. Yeah, but how are you waiting? See, it comes down to really, what is it that the Holy Spirit uses to change us from deep within? Whether you want to call it your unconscious, your id, your spirit, whatever it is that drives our behavior, how does the Spirit of God change that? The answer is simple. By our obedience. By our obedience. But now get it. But it's also why we obey. If I obey 
the word of God. I obey the will of God. If I obey for the purpose of being self-justified so I can feel forgiven, being self-sanctified so I can feel like I'm better than someone else, then you can obey all you want and nothing will take place in your life. Nothing. But if you obey the purposes of God because of a deep gratefulness for your forgiveness, a deep gratefulness for the promise that God will change you, Spirit of God will have his way. And talk about feeling close to the Lord. Just listen, and I bring this to a close. In Ephesians chapter 5, listen to verses 17. We all know verse 18, but listen to the verse before. Verse 17 of Ephesians 5. So then, do not be foolish. Paul's still on this foolish thing. Don't be unthinking. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Why do I want to know what the will and the purposes of God are in my life? Answer, next verse. So stop being drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled, plerao, controlled with the Spirit of God. As I'm resting, knowing who I am, a child of the Heavenly Father, forgiven because I have trusted what God said and I believe. But every time God brings something in my life that calls for his purposes to be accomplished, somebody is homeless, somebody is talking to me, that I see some need, I see some project at the church that God is involved in to grow his church and effectiveness in this world. Every time something comes into, onto my radar and it calls for the purpose of God to be accomplished through me, my hand comes out of my, and I'm scratching my ear. I am instantly obeying and doing whatever I know the purposes of God are. And beloved, when I am doing the purposes of God, obeying, obeying, obeying the will of God because of a deep heart gratefulness for my forgiveness, you will never feel closer to God. You will never feel more intimate with Christ. You will never experience being in the presence of your Heavenly Father more than that moment. You don't need more of Jesus. He just needs more of you. And when he has more of you, you will experience. How many people miss the whole point? I read of a young man who once found a $2 bill on the road. He spent the rest of his life never lifting his eyes from the ground. In 40 years, he found 29,516 buttons, 52,173 pins, seven pennies, a bent back, and a miserable disposition. In other words, he missed the whole thing of life, of smiling faces, of wonderful people, being able to help and encourage others. He missed it all. So many Christians are missing the Christian life because they've bought into the criticism that's too easy just to believe. No, 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 no. You self-justify, you're just going to have self-righteousness. You self-sanctify, you're just going to be arrogant and think you're better than. And beloved, that's what the world around us is seeing, and that's why they are so offended at us Christians. Because they think we really believe that we are self-righteous and that we are better than them. And instead of permeating the effect in our culture, we're alienating them.
Because we're not even living the Christian life by faith. Because by faith, I am so grateful that I trust that I have been declared forgiven and a child of God because God said so. And I am so grateful that I'm being sanctified by the Holy Spirit and that my very inner spirit is being changed. And it's being changed because out of gratefulness for all God has done for me, in humility, I just wait and I obey. And when God brings his purposes in my life that I can accomplish his purposes on earth and I get to be the vessel to do it by absolute obedience to his will, to his purposes, to his word, that's when I have such assurance of intimacy with Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you don't get it this time, I only have one more shot at this at 1045. <laughs> but if you understand this, then indeed you understand what we mean when we say, when you go into that mission field, walk worthy. Just walk worthy. Worthy.